The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. Hey everyone, I'm Allison Langer and this is Writing Class Radio. On this podcast, you'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Andrea Askowitz. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. shit. <laughs> That's how Allison always says it. Okay, there's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. This is episode 54, and this is The Andrea Show. Okay, it's not as bad as it sounds. Andrea is my co-producer and a co-host, and she's been writing an essay a week since the day she turned 50, and that was May 30th of this year, 2018. So in the stories we'll bring you in this series, I've been Andrea's primary editor. This is the fourth of eight in the series, and I'm dying to share the process with you. Um, Why? Well, because... (laughs) Why? You ask why? I'll tell you why. (laughs) Tell me. No, I do. Why? No, seriously, she takes edits way better than I do. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, you do. You take edits really, really well. So they're actually fun to write because sometimes I'm like, are you fucking out of your mind? No one cares about this shit. Take yourself out of the story or put yourself in the... Like, I'm really pretty brutal. And if you're not bored after Andrea reads, stay tuned for my story, Holiday Cards. If you're wondering how stories start and how they get published, like what do you need to do? What brings them on? What what makes things happen? Is it a class? Is it a prompt? What is it? Well, for us, this is what happened. So I was totally stuck because I was like, oh, God damn it. What am I going to write about this week? Which keeps happening to me, actually, every single week. So this time I was like, Allison, I need help. I need to do a writing prompt. And then I called Allison and I said, Let's do a writing prompt. Here it is. Here's the prompt. Christmas. 15 minutes. Go. Bye. And then um, (laughs) we didn't sit on the phone. No, but you did send me a text and you said, this is why I love you. I know. Because I couldn't believe you did it. I know. So she did it. And I did it. And we both wrote and wrote and wrote for 15 minutes. And then... um, And then... We read to each other. Yeah. And what I remember is um, you were like, this is such diarrhea about yours, (laughs) not about mine. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. You're the photographer behind the scenes during holiday time. And you must hate taking these pictures because one of your people is missing. That was like vaguely in the story. And I was like, go, go, go. You have to write this story. Hurry up. You have to write this story like today. Because yeah. that was like a week ago. But the cool thing about the process was that um, the process of these prompts that we give you, and we have prompts on our website, daily prompts on our website and on Twitter. So we follow these prompts and we come up with stories. And Allison's got published in the Washington Post like literally four days later or a week later. So boom to Allison. Thank you. And um, my story got published <laughs> on Medium. <laughs> Aren't you going to say boom, Andrea? Yeah, boom. Yes, way to go. Yeah. So I did come up with a story that, that I actually liked, and here it is. Mm-hmm. 
On Monday after dinner, my wife Vicky, our son Sebastian, and I went to the firefighter's Christmas tree lot and picked out a tree. Tashi, who's 14, stayed home to do her hair. Sebastian, who's nine, dragged the tree inside, and Vicky directed him to put it in the corner of our living room, right in front of a giant window facing the street. Sebastian closed the wooden blinds to make more room for the tree. The blinds have never been closed before, but I haven't opened them. I don't want the neighbors to see our tree. I found a box of Christmas decorations stashed in our garage. There were kid-made Santas and a Rudolph made out of popsicle sticks, even a popsicle stick star of David. We also had a string of lights we'd never used and an unopened box of ornaments, quarter-sized animal faces. Sebastian got to work. Tashi came down the stairs, and with none of her usual teenage snark, she said, Smells so good. For once, our house didn't smell like dog. Vicky's Catholic, and I'm Jewish. When we got together 11 years ago, Vicky said she wanted religion for our children, but she knew Catholicism wouldn't work for our lesbian family. So we agreed to raise the kids Jewish. I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't keep kosher. I don't rest on the Sabbath. I don't pray, but I'm Jewish. And I'm committed to my Jewish identity and the identity of my kids the way I'm committed to my lesbian identity. It's just who I am. My mom often asks, why do you always have to announce you're a lesbian? It matters that people see a lesbian when they see me. It matters that people see all lesbians. Once you really see someone, you have a much harder time discriminating against people like them. The same is true for Jewish people. This is why a Jewish home should not have a Christmas tree. The home becomes no different than all the other homes, which in the United States are primarily Christian. And there's another danger in not keeping a Jewish home, assimilation. This week, I asked two of my Jewish friends if they have Christmas trees. They do. One has grown children who sometimes identify as Jewish and sometimes identify as nothing. The other has little kids who don't even know what the word Jewish means. Two other Jewish friends who had Christmas trees while we were growing up are not raising their kids Jewish today. This isn't a scientific survey, but I see the Christmas tree as the gateway drug to Christianity. Vicky says, that's crazy. If I put a menorah up in my sister's house, would her children become Jewish after eight days? No, because the dominant religion in Venezuela, where her sister lives, or in the United States, where we live, isn't Jewish. The societal pressures aren't Jewish. No one drives around looking at the Hanukkah lights. You don't hear Hanukkah carols in the department stores. And the menorah isn't pretty and fun, like the Christmas tree. Christianity is everywhere, especially around Christmas. Christians have a really good marketing campaign. It is possible that Jewish families with Christmas trees have already abandoned Judaism. And if this is true, we're probably safe because my kids both went to Jewish elementary school. Sebastian is still there. Tashi had a bat mitzvah in Israel. And even though I don't want to, we do go to synagogue for high holiday services twice a year. But is that enough to stave off Christmas and Christianity? A few years ago, Vicky's sister and kids visited from Venezuela, and she and I got into a fight about the tree. She argued that there was no place to put the gifts. She insisted that since she was visiting, we should have a proper Christmas. Vicky stepped in and said, if we were Muslim, you wouldn't insist we roast a pig just because you were visiting. This year, something changed, not just for Vicky, 
but also for me. Vicki said she wanted us to host her family's Christmas party. She said she's afraid her family thinks that without a tree, our house is sad. I thought, Vicki thinks our house is sad. And I felt heartbroken, not for me, but for all the years she's been in our house without a tree. I had just read a story on Narratively.com by Gina Cadleck, a lesbian who left the evangelical church to be free of judgment. She wrote that now people, queer people, don't seem to understand her loss. They say the church was so hateful and damaging, she should be glad to be out of there. And she is, but she also deeply misses her community. She feels like she lost her entire identity. The article made me wonder if I understood Vicky's loss. She lost the church when she came out. Then she lost it again when she married a Jew. I have said equally callous things about the Catholic Church, but the church is so much more than its views on sex and sin. It's a smell of incense, high ceilings, the Virgin Mary, prayer. It's childhood memories of decorating the tree. What's interesting and what I want to say to you guys out there writing from prompts and this and that is that they don't end up like this in 15 minutes. This is not this is just an idea that gets down. Then we discussed it. And like, where would you what would you want to know more about? And this is what we do in class. What of what I just read you are you interested in? And then when I could hear like, oh, maybe about this, maybe about that, then eventually you go, oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds like something I'd like to write about. That's something I'm trying to figure out. Let me go into my story and really try to figure this out. And the reader can tell when you're trying to figure something out and they like being on that journey with you. So I think that's what happened in this story for both of us. For you. Yeah. And we won't bore you with the original prompt response because it's really rough. And it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So let's go to Allison's story. Here's Allison's story called Holiday Cards. This story was originally published in the Inspired Life column of the Washington Post on December 14th, 2018. I started sending holiday cards 18 years ago. Back then, all my friends sent holiday cards too. We were in our 30s. They with their husbands and kids and me with my dog, Molly. I sent holiday pictures because it felt grown up. And since it was pre-social media, sending cards was a way to show off. I also sent them because I'm a family photographer, and it's good for business. Six years ago, I shot the Guerra family. A few months later, I heard from the friend who referred them. Their middle daughter, a two-year-old, had drowned. I didn't hear from that family again until today. Today, I received an email and felt my eyes fill up as I stared at the family photo attached. He was emailing to buy a photo session for his wife for Christmas. It's time, he wrote. When my twins were born in 2007, I took pictures at every stage. For their first holiday photo, I dressed them in matching white sweaters and tiny pink bows. McLean and Blake were six months old, and I plopped them on the floor of my studio with only a black blanket underneath. They flanked their brother Jackson, who was two. In the picture, they're looking at the camera with wide eyes. My last holiday photo with the twins was taken nine months later and still hangs at the bottom of my stairs. McLean didn't like pictures. She didn't like most things. 
Perhaps she was cranky because of her medical condition that made it difficult for her to eat and breathe. But for a few minutes, McLean was happy posing with her sister and brother. The girls wore yellow, blue, and white striped tank dresses. Jackson, three at the time, wore an orange shirt. Their bare feet pointed at the camera. I hooted to make them smile, and McLean responded. The other two sat stone-faced, probably thinking their mom was nuts. McLean raised her hand, as if to wave. Five fingers spread and smiled with all her teeth showing. It was the biggest smile she gave in all 16 months of her life. Now I see it as her wave goodbye. A month later, she died after she choked on a french fry. McLean was born with a vascular ring. Her aorta was wrapped around her trachea and esophagus, which is why eating and breathing were hard for her. Her surgery was already scheduled. The surgeon assured me that it was no big deal. One snip, and she'll be as good as normal. She didn't make it to the surgery. I'm so grateful for that photo. I didn't send cards that year, or the next. It took two years and a new baby to inspire me to send another holiday card. I think I sent it to assure the people around me that I was okay. Look, I survived. But really, I was struggling. Having another baby didn't fill the hole left by my daughter. And neither did sending out cards. I felt fake. I survived, yes, but the picture felt wrong. Like somebody was missing. And I didn't feel like blasting my struggle with some bogus holiday card. I imagine that's why it took the Guerra six years to hire me again. It was too soon. It would have felt fake. I told people I was too busy taking everyone else's photos to concentrate on my own. It was partially true. From October through December, I take pictures every weekend and edit all week. I see many of the same families each year. The braces, the pudge, the acne. I also watch the parents age. So getting the perfect family shot for the card often means jumping up and down like a clown, bonding with angry teenagers who couldn't care less about being there and shooting the mom at just the right angle so her stomach looks flat. It also means getting pretty good at Photoshop. I spend hours removing flyaway hairs, whitening teeth, and smoothing wrinkles so every card will say, look at my perfect family. What I can't do with Photoshop is bring people back. Blake is 11 now. She hates it when I tell people about McLean, especially her friends. I don't want people to feel sorry for me, she says. I get it. She just wants to be normal, so I don't bring it up unless she does. Last week before bed, we curled up together. I said, I shot identical twins today. She hugged a little tighter and said, you hate twins. I shook my head. I'm just jealous of the people who get to keep theirs. We cried and talked about how much the boys would annoy McLean if she were here, how my youngest Sloane probably wouldn't have been born. I want her back, she said, and I hugged a little tighter. We lay like that for a while as my mind replayed the movie trailer I've seen so many times. I saw the day I found out I was having identical twins. You've got to be kidding, I said to the doctor, and she laughed. I saw the vomit and the fever and the colic of the early months. I relived first steps, first foods, first words, and then I saw the last day with them. I always see the last day. We went to the country club for lunch. As we walked through the dining room, the kids held hands, blonde hair bouncing with each step. The old ladies smiled. Five more days and she'll be as good as normal, I thought as I smiled back, ignoring the angst I felt about McLean's upcoming surgery. 
Less than an hour later, we were in the back of a rescue truck. Please no, I said over and over again. It's been 10 years since McLean died. It's incredible how time flies. This past summer, we went on vacation to celebrate her and us, and I got lucky. The kids jumped off a dock while I had my camera pointing at them. They were in colorful bathing suits, holding hands and smiling huge. Right then, I decided this was the year. And that's the thing about grief. At first, you're sure you'll never laugh again. Just breathing feels wrong without her. And then one day, your kids jump off a dock and you look at these people you love so profoundly. And you think about how they lighten your pain and how they are a counterweight to the grief. And you accept that you can't always keep everyone you love. This story is so beautiful, and I love just now how you read it. Um, I so much I want to say about this story, and then, um, so Allison, just step aside, and we'll talk about it in a second. But um, I just want to weigh in and say, I know that, that Allison had trouble with the ending, and the ending is so difficult so often in a story, because the ending really does sort of do the work of saying what the story is about. In this case, this is the inspired life column for the Washington Post. So the story has to in some way have an inspirational message, which is kind of, uh, it's a little bit against our policy at Writing Class Radio to like try to come up with something inspiring. But what I think happened here, I, I so I'm, I'm so pleased with like I'm so, I'm so pleased with it like uh, um like I'm your teacher. <laughs> oh, I, oh, well, I you did edit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. And I want to give credit to Allison Klein of the Washington Post. She pushed Allison to keep working on the ending. So what she did was she forced Allison to step into the higher register, and what that means. And I learned this from Cheryl Strayed. When a narrator steps into the higher register, that's where they speak directly to the reader and they say, this is what I learned. And that's what Alison Langer just did. She said, that's the thing about grief. So she's allowed to say that's the thing about grief because she just told us that she's been living with grief for 10 years. And she just told us her experience of hating to take holiday pictures, having to take holiday pictures because she's a photographer, and what she's learned over all this time. And so I want to know, what is the thing about grief? And I completely trust her. You accept you can't always keep everyone you love. It really hit me right now. It really like, oh, God, yes, that's what this story is about. It's about living through grief till you get to a place where you can accept that that where you are is where you're supposed to be. I just want to talk about the process for a second because the ending was really killing me. And then when I sent it to her, you know, to Alison Klein, and then she came back with, I love it, I answer these three questions. One being, can you make more of the ending? Like, can you add a little bit to it? Because 
this is the inspired life column. And so I walked, I took a walk, I went, you know, by myself, I talked about it, like I kept coming up with things and I'd come back and I'd be like, well, do you think it's like about this? And you know, like, is it about, and I kept trying to figure out, it was really, really hard. I mean, I was up like at six in the morning, I was at midnight trying to write things down, everything that came to me, is it about this, is it about this? And finally, it's like, I got that higher register grief thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, oh my God, because that is, you know, from somebody who's been through it 10 years later, what do you want to know from that person? You kind of want to know, like, what do I expect? And it doesn't have to be all good, but you just want to know what to expect. How much pain am I going to be in? When is it going to ease? What will my life look like in 10 years? I want to ask you this about the, um, this is the thing about grief. Did you feel awkward stating that? No. Okay. Because that's might be hard for a writer or any narrator to come, you know, to say like, no, I feel like an expert. Good. Yeah. No, I for sure feel like an expert on grief. And I'm sure people who have been through it now 20, 30 years, you know, feel like even more of an expert. But I think once you're in it, you guess what? You live it, you survive it, own it. So there are also I wanted to talk about how this story could have been about a few different things. Like it could have been about the perfect family or yeah. trying to be the perfect family. And I love the whole description of the other families trying to be that perfect family, like the mom, like holding in her belly. Could have Photoshop? also been a bit. Yeah. Oh, the Photoshop line. You, what Photoshop can't do is bring people back. Yeah. Uh, There's one other thing that I thought was really well done in this story, which was um, the scene with um, Allison and Blake. It's so beautiful. We see the narrator now. She's lying in bed with her daughter, the one who lost her sister. And they hug. There's like this parallel writing that I think is so beautiful and exciting to hear. And then then she did such a good job giving us the backstory. The, the real. She talked about like the movie reel that played in her head. And she remembered all the firsts. And then I heard this this time. Like she remembered first and last. Ugh. That's so heartbreaking. And it was just, it was such an excellent, seamless way to show us what life has been like for this mom. Ah, I love this story so much and I take full credit for it because I was the one that said, write this, write this, write this right now and hurry up. <laughs> Everyone needs an editor and I couldn't have done it without you. I'm serious. Yeah, for sure. Whew, I feel like you gave me so much more yeah, feedback than I gave you. Yeah, yours I was stole the Andrea it's show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing that story and thank you for listening thank you for sharing your story <laughs> anytime writing class radio is produced by virginia laura andrea askowitz and me allison langer if you have a story you think is ready for publication we have the tools to help you get make that happen go to our website and sign up for our mailing list and you'll receive a free publishing guide we lay out some practical steps like how to format your story, what to include in the cover letter, and where to submit. If you're already on the mailing list, just email us at info at writingclassradio.com and we'll send you the guide. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Poddington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the Launchpad at the University of Miami. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. A new episode will drop every Wednesday, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours?
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.